Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. All right, I think I'm kind of freaked out at this moment. There is a... uh, The people over at ProPublica, which... I think wants you to believe that they're moral and decent and good. They've they've put out a story. America's highest earners and their taxes revealed. The secret IRS files. What the hell is this? Well, according to to the story, a trove of IRS data obtained by ProPublica has the definitive answers about what people are making, revealing the incomes and tax rates of the 400 Americans with the highest incomes from 2013 to 2018. It took an average of $110 million per year in income to crack that list. We'll also show how much the 400 paid in federal income taxes. You got leaked people's tax returns and you're putting them online? This this is allowed? I, I, by the way, I got this story on Twitter. This story is allowed on Twitter? What the... What the hell is this? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, how, how you doing? Um... And they've got they've got this infographic. They've got this infographic of all of of these people. Pictures and 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 rates and the average uh yearly income. Are you Are you in, are you insane? I got to tell you this is uh this is something else. This is some surreal, surreal stuff that we're seeing here. Sick and twisted and... All right, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting off. I can't. That's insane. And they're proud of it. They're proud of this story. How did they get access to people's information like this? Why would we ever celebrate this? Absolutely, positively surreal. Uh, I, I love it when people want to tell us, like, like, here's how you do the good thing. Here's the, the problem is, is, that, is that Elon Musk is going to own part of a Twitter. That's the freaking problem? Elon Musk is the freaking problem. I I don't think that's the case. By the way, you want to know how freaked out people are about Elon Musk owning a piece of Twitter? They are freaked out of their face. They're suing Elon Musk. Because he didn't reveal the amount of stock he had, and therefore uh, that was unacceptable to other uh, Twitter investors. 
And then there's this piece by Robert Reich, who was the labor secretary for Bill Clinton. If you ever want to meet a guy who gets it wrong, talk to Thomas Friedman. No, talk to Paul Krugman. No, talk to Robert Reich. Uh, Talk to either one of those three guys. And Thomas Friedman for a while there, you know, had me, man. He was like, he's thinking there's something interesting going on. But then as you, you, you really start digging in, you're like, some of these things don't hold up. And then you watch some of his maneuvering in the guise of, of acting like an intellectual. Uh, Thomas Friedman, uh, the Lexus and the olive tree, the world is flat. Uh, and and, and you, you, you come to the conclusion that the, the idea was the idea was possible, and he just never followed through on continuing to prove it and to engage with people in an intellectual way. He decided to instead engage in a, in a political way. So Robert Reich, writing over at The Guardian, says that, you know, it was necessary for the U.S. to drop Trump from social media. It was necessary to protect American democracy. It was important to remove him from the platforms to protect American democracy. But Elon Musk um, said that how dare these companies act like this? They shouldn't be acting as the de facto arbiter of free speech. And then he goes on to say, does Robert Reich, that uh, Elon Musk blocked Robert Reich on Twitter, and it seems like an odd move for someone who describes himself as a free speech absolutist. Blocking someone on social media means I don't want to hear their crap. And let me tell you, I don't get a billionth of the things that Elon Musk gets. Uh, There are a lot of people on social media who are total crap, and I gladly mute them because I don't want to hear their crap. Producer Ari, you get less than I do. Have you ever muted anybody or blocked anybody because you don't want to hear their crap? The first time I ever blocked somebody was actually two nights ago. Is that right? First time ever. So why did you block me? I didn't block you, Tony. I would never block you. So what What made you do it? What happened? He uh, he was just, he, he kept messaging me and then he was like, I'm going to, you know, I finally responded with, a, you know, a mild, mildly vulgar comment. And he claimed he was going to call IMPD on me. And I said, okay, do it. And then I was done with it. So I blocked him. Wow. Yeah, it was it was pretty wild. I, All right. Yeah. It was, that wasn't me because, I because yeah. No. I, I don't even get that. You know what? Maybe you get more than I do at this stage of the game. It was, I'm a little yeah. shocked. It was Butler basketball people. Oh, oh, okay. Now I understand it. Because if it involves Butler basketball, producer Ari's going to lose his face. That that much is going to happen. You think me blocking someone, Ari blocking somebody, stop somebody from engaging in free speech? Free speech is you having the right to say what you will, not that I have to respond to it. I don't owe anybody a response to a damn thing. If they don't like it, so much kissing of my butt should take place. It is unbelievable. I don't owe anybody a response. And the best is, this happened more in the early days of Twitter than it, than it has uh, now, um, is, is when you don't respond and they're like, oh, no response. Guess I win. There's no, there's no winning Twitter. There is no, what, what do you even, what do you even think you're talking about? That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. It's not. No one, everybody who plays Twitter 
Everybody who plays Twitter. Everybody who's on Twitter is like just one giant knife fight. Everybody loses. Doesn't matter who you are, you're getting cut. I mean, that's just that's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. There, there's, there, there's no winning. Robert Reich goes on to say that it was power that compelled Musk to buy $2.64 billion of Twitter stock, making him the largest individual shareholder. But, of course, he didn't join uh, the board because not, by not joining the board, he's not bound by a, what's known as a standstill agreement in which he pledged to buy no more than 14.9% of Twitter stock. Now there's no limit to how much Twitter stock he can buy, which means he can buy enough to gain control of the, of the whole company. He can buy the whole company. Which he could, right? He he could he could absolutely positively buy the entire company, which he's more than welcome to do, and uh, wouldn't bother me if he did it or not. I don't pay enough attention. I don't care what he buys. I care whether or not Twitter engages uh, free speech, allows people to speak out even if they don't like it, and they don't have engineers and encoders who are worth their salt, who uh, who don't who who believe in the actual concepts that I'm discussing. They believe that they know best, just like Robert Reich believes he knows best. What improvement does Musk have in mind for Twitter, asked Robert Reich. Will he use his cloud over Twitter to prevent users with tens of millions of followers from blocking people who criticize them? I doubt it. Well, yeah, because I can block anybody I want. I can block Robert Reich. He can block me. Why not? You think I have to hear this guy's crap? He was a garbage labor secretary, and he's garbage now. But somebody out there might like him. That's the point. Will Musk use his clout to let Trump back on? I fear he will. Musk has long advocated a libertarian vision of an uncontrolled internet. That vision is dangerous rubbish. There's no such animal, writes Robert Reich, and there never will be. Someone has to decide on the algorithms in every platform, how they're designed, how they involve, and what they reveal and what they hide. Musk has enough power and money to quietly give himself this sort of control over Twitter. Well, Robert... Let's say he does. Let's say that uh, Robert Reich, uh, no, let's say that Elon Musk gains total control of Twitter and decides who's on and who's off and and decides what you see and what you don't see. Uh, My advice is if you don't like it, uh, go start another platform. Go go, uh, start another platform. Isn't that what you told conservatives? Oh, you don't like Twitter? Go start another platform. Oh, and if you do, like Parler, we'll just have you thrown out of the app store and try and take away your servers. Oh, so see, you can't really start a platform. (laughs) Ha ha. Oh, well. Maybe, Robert, you need to learn to code and start doing something. Maybe start a chat room with your friends. Don't you like a nice little chat room? I happen to love a, a, a chat room, by the way. TonyKatz.Locals.com. I will open up the chat room in just mere moments. TonyKatz.Locals.com. I do love a chat room. Oh, and you can get a chat room there on, on Locals. I'm, sh- I'm sure they'll, they'll let you have one, right? Because that's kind of what they do. That's why your argument about look at what he would do if he had the power. Why would anybody think that you'd be thrown off? You do the throwing off there, Robert Reich. You and your party. 
That doesn't seem to be what Elon's uh, interested in. And he continues, Musk has never believed that power comes with responsibility. He's been unperturbed when his tweets cause real suffering. During his long and storied history with Twitter, he has threatened journalists and tweeted reckless things. Maybe. What does that matter? What does that matter? David Hogg tweets some of the dumbest, most ignorant things out there about the Second Amendment, about manhood. Real men don't need a gun. My father is 84 years old. My father is having trouble breathing these days. Um, takes him a while to get moving after he stands up because his knees lock up on him. Um, he doesn't walk the same. He, he walks with a little bit of a, uh, a tilt to his back. One shoulder now much higher than, than, than the other shoulder. Uh, but he and, and, and my mother, uh, they like to go out to lunch. And they like to go out to dinner. But my father doesn't have the strength anymore. He can't throw a punch. If somebody came after them, he has no possible way of defending them. And it bothers him. It bothers him when he talks about it. It bothers him when he doesn't talk about it. It bothers him that he used to be a guy who could make the walls shake. And now he can't throw a punch. He can't defend himself. But as he discusses it, my, my, my trigger finger works just fine. And he carries a firearm to be able to protect himself and his 74-year-old wife. And David Hogg is going to decide that my father isn't a man? Bitch, please. What does this little child who has no life experience except being used by adults, what does he know of the real world? I don't want to delete him from Twitter for that. I want to recognize what an ignorant lowlife he is. Don't you get it? If you follow David Hogg and think he has something to something of value to provide you, you don't understand what something of value actually is. You think he knows? You think he knows what it is to be a man? A kid who has never earned anything? He wasn't there when Marjorie Stone, Stoneman Douglas, uh, when the shooting took place there at the high school. He was thrust into the spotlight and utilized by adults, including his own parents, who were able to ride his rhetoric that he was protected against because he was a child into Harvard, where he never earned it, and he took the spot of some Asian girl who gave her life to studying. That's my take. I'm willing to defend it against anyone. Anywhere. You know that David Hogg got into Harvard because they wanted that celebrity and they didn't give a damn about some Asian girl in California or Philadelphia or New York or in the middle of Texas with a 5.2 GPA. Are we taking bets on this? Because I'm willing to take bets on this. The kid who was going to start a pillow company and then didn't do it because like he could ever start a company. And the kid who wants to tell my father he's not a man for wanting to do what he can to protect a 74-year-old wife at 84 years of age. Like somehow this kid understands. These people, they never understand, but they always think they know what's best. They always think they know what's best. They always think that they're decent. It's important to note how little respect you should have for them. 
how little respect you should have for the pseudo-intellectuals who get to be in the pages of The Guardian and get to go to Harvard and think they should be able to lecture to you, me, and we. Musk owns Twitter or doesn't whatever. As long as it allows people to share, that's all I care about. It should be what anybody cares about. Oh, and my father being able to protect himself and my mom? Absolutely. I care about that. Oh, uh, uh, my, my mother carries too. You know, they're all about equality over there. I'm Tony Katz. So what could be more embarrassing than being Brian Stelter on CNN and being told that CNN, just like Fox. So, Josh, you all call this partisan coverage filtering. Um, And basically, you're proving what we've sensed for a while, which is Fox viewers are in the dark about bad news for the GOP. That's right. Fox and CNN cover different issues. And Fox News predominantly covers issues that that make the GOP look good and and make Democrats look bad. And and on the flip side, CNN engages in this partisan coverage filtering as, as well that we find. For example, during this time, the Abraham Accords were signed and these were the agreements where Israel, the UAE, and Bahrain signed a, a major peace agreement. And we see that Fox News covered this really major accomplishment about 15 times more than, than CNN did. So we established both networks are, are really engaging in this partisan coverage filtering. It's, it's not about one side. It's about the media writ large. Well, ain't that something? But a guy like Brian Stelter is always stunned by this. Now, I argue. Based on look, I have I have no deep in, insight in in into Fox uh, other than having been, been on the network a whole bunch of times, right? Uh, I, I you you may watch it far more than I do, considering I don't have cable news. You you probably do, but I would argue that the day side of Fox is covering much more actual news than the day side or prime time of CNN. That would be that's my take. But are there stories that they miss? Are they stories like, yeah, that's not for our audience? I I have no doubt that that's true. We go back to the conversation of of confirmation bias. We go back to the idea of of what we could describe as the the, the self-affirming selective. And people want to hear the thing that they've always heard so they can go back and tell people how they're right about the thing that they believe. It's part of the problem. I, I, I believe that to be absolutely true. It's a massive problem when you take a look at the at the uh, idea that people only want to hear the things that they want to hear so they can continue to believe the things that they believe. But Stelter is always stunned by this. Stelter is always stunned by this. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Godfrey I absolutely positively gutted ruined destroyed awful oh dear lord absolutely gutted Tony Katz Tony Katz today how you doing Facebook Tony Katz radio the phone number 833 got Tony 833-468-8669 I didn't know he was ill dead at the age of 67 and I'm in in the past 12 months, we've lost Norm MacDonald, Bob Saget, and Gilbert Gottfried. I mean, 
that's that that's insane. That's madness. Uh, heaven is way funnier than earth. That's that's what I, I, I tweeted out. Just horrifying. I, I can't tell you how much Gilbert Gottfried has has made uh, me laugh over the years. And I actually I, I shared this as a, a video I did over over my Facebook page, Tony Katz Radio. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried is one of the few people that made me, my brother, and my father laugh. What uh, this is so? I was talking about this earlier today with uh, Casey and Kendall, who I was filling in for. What's your? What do you know Gilbert Gottfried from the most? Because for me, it was the voice of Iago in Aladdin, my okay. generation. But what's your thing with him? Uh, so uh, his his uh, role in Beverly Hills Cop. Yes. Um, the lawyer there. I have known him as a comic for forever. That's how that's how I I, I knew him. Things like uh, not only just the roasts, but other things that 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 he had had done. I, I always been been aware of him. Is is so it, it's it's like Gilbert was just there. It was it was part of my knowledge base of, of of comics and 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 people who made me laugh and things that I would search out and the days of having satellite radio and listening to Raw Dog and. And and there was Gilbert, um, who who just spectacular. The it, it, so I, I there's the quintessential, if you will, uh, Gilbert Gottfried, which was him. I think it was the roast of Hugh Hefner, um, where it's you know they 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 did these things right. They weren't the the original roast, but um, where they they. The, with the Comedy Central ones, that's it. And he, it was, I think it was of Hugh Hefner. And it was um, soon after September 11th. And he, being Gilbert Gottfried, started doing some jokes about September 11th. And and the crowd and the crowd booed him. The crowd was like, "No, no, 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 no! We, you can't do this. This is happening in 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 New York. This is happening in in New York." And they're like, "Too soon, way too soon." Yeah, it, it was the Hugh Hefner uh, roast, and people were like, "Oh no, you can't, you can't do this joke." So here's Gilbert, and he's bombing to this audience and he catches himself composes himself I don't know how you want to describe it and he goes uh, and I, I, I won't do the Gilbert Gottfried impression because it, you can't do it any justice and he says a man walks into a talent agency now anybody who has ever heard that line knows that that is the joke the aristocrats. And there is a not safe for work. Oh, anything involving the aristocrats is not safe for work. Not safe for work at all. Um, the aristocrats is meant to be the filthiest joke ever told. So here's the premise. 
here it, it, look i'm not i'm not stealing anything i'm not i'm not taking anything from anybody and i'm not ruining the joke for you because the joke is as old as time and the setup and the and the, the start and the punchline are not the parts of the joke that matter it's always the same the start is the same the punchline is the same so the start is a man walks into a talent agency and says to the talent agent i have got an act for you. It's a family act. My wife is in my act. My children are in the act. A boy and a girl. They're both in the act. We have this incredible act. I gotta tell you all about it. The minute you hear it, you're gonna sign us. And the agent says, family act is always good. Tell me about the act. The joke ends with the agent saying, my gosh, what do you call that? And the guy goes, the aristocrats. In the middle is this man explaining the act that his family does. The act involves every vulgar thought a comic can think of. Every disgusting sexual thing a comic can think of. Every, my gosh, this is inhumane moment a comic can think of. With the father and the mother and the kids and farm animals and machinery, whatever it is you can think of that is debased, that is obscene, that is disgusting, that is despicable, that is all happening in the act. And it's this guy, this dad, explaining to the agent that the mother does this and the kids do that and he's doing this while Bessie the cow is over there. And it can go on for anywhere between five minutes and five hours. This joke can go on for forever, and it will end with the agent saying, my gosh, what do you call it? That's insane. What do you call that act? And the man saying, the aristocrats. It is amazing when done properly. And there's Gilbert Gottfried trying out 9-11 jokes soon after September 11th. The crowd is booing him. And he defaults to that, to which the other comics on stage cannot believe. They cannot believe he's doing that joke. There's no way Gilbert Gottfried is doing that joke, and he does that joke. It is spectacular. The other one, if we want to go from the roast scenario, is the stream of consciousness uninterrupted roast of Joan Rivers where he invents the time he had sex with her. It is it is not safe for work. It is freaking brilliant. It is brilliant and spectacular. You know what? Maybe I have a debased sense of humor. Maybe that's what I just learned about. It's like, oh, it's so good. Gilbert it's- Gottfried's Dirty Jokes album is one of the funniest things I've ever listened to. Do you have it? I've watched it on YouTube, yeah. Okay. It's, I, I literally, I, I can think about it to this day and laugh. Like, uh, you have to listen to it if you don't, if you're not soft. Like, if you're not woke, you can listen to it. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, uh, I, I, um, what was his line recently? Like, he was in a movie, like, uh, Can Anyone Take a Joke? It's all about the free speech uh, conversation, Right. Um, and, and he was talking about comics having to pay a price for free speech. He goes, I don't want to have to pay a price for free speech, mainly because I'm Jewish. And I'm like, that's that's funny. 
That's pretty good. That's really I'm going to get yelled at for that one, Tony. As you know, that's an old stereotype about Jews and money. That's the damn joke. You, you lunatics. I laughed out loud when I heard him say that. Laughed out loud. Uh, but I mean, his his comedy, so many comics are reasons why people don't do college campuses anymore. You can't. You can't do uh, comedy on a college campus. Those people have no sense of humor. They're not funny people. They're awful, terrible people. They're dead inside. Dead inside. Oh, yeah. Oh, being... If I did stand-up comedy, if I did stand-up comedy, I would never do it on a college campus. Never. That's why I want to do shows on my own, right? And do my own show and... And, and and just rent out the whole theater and do the thing. You know, if you want to come be offended and you, you have to drive to it, that, that's all there is to it. And I honestly don't know if I'd offend people or not. Because I, I have still, like, like I, I still think I would, I would do it clean. Every time I sketch something out, like, like, like a show that I, that I want to do, I, 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 it, it, it's, it's clean. It's always, always, always clean. I don't know. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's the radio rubbing off of me or I, 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 like like in my personal life. Don't don't get me wrong. I got a couple. I got a couple of choice. You know, phrases that I don't mind using. It's true, but I I I just don't think it sounds natural when I say it. Like I I don't think it sounds like it sounds um it sounds off. It, it really does. It's tough to do clean comedy. Yeah, oh, I don't. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. It's when I. It's when I don't that I think I sound awkward. Yeah, I mean, I've heard you swear before, and like, I just don't like you swearing. But uh, I think you're funny without swearing, dude. I've only done it like two or three times on stage, and 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 I left like saying, yeah, I didn't, I didn't need that. Like, I don't think I needed it. And that's the thing. I'm not sure. I'm. I'm never a hundred percent. Sure. Every now and then I'll have like a choice word, right? And, and, and it'll, it'll hit the moment, fit the moment. But in the main, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not there. Like, I just don't think it's, it's for me. I got to do uh, the, the, the Tree of Liberty conversation. I got to get into that. I will get into it uh, after this. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. So I'm going to be expanding on this in in the weeks ahead because I I didn't realize that I actually have developed, a, I guess, a thought I've been working on for a long time about the concept of the Tree of Liberty, which comes from uh, a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to the son-in-law of John Adams. Son-in-law's name was William Stephen Smith. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. And, and people know this quote, the tree of liberty must be watered from time to time with the blood of tyrants and patriots. But that's not actually the, the quote. That wasn't what Thomas Jefferson wrote. He wrote that the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. It is its natural manure. And so there's an argument about whether or not Jefferson, in, in writing this, was advocating for rebellion. This all came as he was in France as the Constitution was being drafted. He, he was 
an emissary, an ambassador, whatever it is you want to call it. And so he was getting sent these copies of the Constitution. There were things that he agreed with and things he disagreed. And remember, this is Thomas Jefferson. This is the guy who wrote the Declaration of Independence. He might know a thing or two about a thing or two. James Madison crafted so much of the of the Constitution. And so he's he he wrote this and 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 people took this as to believe that he's calling for um you know you, you, there's a constant need for rebellion there's constant need for fighting well it it's not so clear in the letter that that's actually what he's saying maybe in the letter he he's saying just the opposite that we don't want rebellion that this is just the way people think of it and he goes along uh describing that Shay's rebellion which is the that happened after the, the Revolutionary War and farmers unhappy with what local governments were doing. And so in Massachusetts, they took control of the courthouses. Uh, that, this, that this was wrong, but could anything be more uh, tame than what we saw in Shea's Rebellion? And even that, he, he, didn't, he didn't like. But you take a look at some of his other writings and some of the other uh, letters. And, and remember, this is, this is Jefferson. He had written uh, the, the, the declaration. It's a list of grievances cause, you know, detailing the cause of the separation. He's the original author of rebellion. And now all of a sudden he's not in favor of rebellion. It's an interesting mix. I think historians could possibly teach me a, a, a lot on this. But in another letter he had written to James Madison, and uh, he, he's talking about, you know, the, the Constitution, and he uses the Latin, which translates to, I prefer the tumult of liberty to the quiet of servitude. That line again, I prefer the tumult of liberty to the quiet of servitude. And, and you know, that's, that's the difference between being a citizen and being a, 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 a subject. It's a difference between those who advocate for free speech, um, including the speech that we hate, and those people who work at Twitter and Facebook who don't want you to be able to say anything that they don't like. And so I... I utilize, I, I've utilized this, this phrase of Lot, the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. I note that it says patriots first. I note that it very much correlates to something uh, for, for Jews, they celebrate Passover, which will be this weekend. And they read from the Haggadah, the story of the Exodus. And the line is, freedom is not free in every generation, it must be one anew. And it is not lost on me that Jefferson would utilize a line that is so unbelievably similar to freedom is not free and every generation it must be one anew. I tie those two together all the time. I compare them constantly. But the, the, the reason I, I bring this up is that it, it, I, I've noticed that never, no one ever asked the question, right? The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. But no one ever asks what it means to bleed. And so this starts my, my thesis. This starts uh, my, my, my conversation that might already exist out there, but it now exists for me, and I'm looking now for where other people may have engaged this conversation. Does anybody ever ask what it means to bleed? You have to die for your nation. It's the only way uh, to refresh the tree of liberty. What about standing up for free speech? What about standing up for the Constitution? What about standing up for the rights of, of, of others within the framework of the Constitution? What about standing up for just oneself? What about saying, I oppose this legislation, I know you may call me a racist for it, but so what? What, what does it mean to bleed? 
And then you, you get to the understanding that in order to have a tree of liberty, right, we are the tree and we are uh, the, 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 the bleed. We're, we're the refreshing bleed. We're, we're both. And that gets pretty damn heavy. And then, of course, that leads to a conversation of, you know, you're willing to, to bleed for your kids, right? Every parent will tell you they're willing to bleed for their kids. Has anybody ever taught their kids that eventually they'll have to bleed for their own? We have a country that has 52% of a population, or whether it's Democrats or a total population, that says if a war came to the United States, it wouldn't fight for the country. You wouldn't fight for your own country? Enjoy the servitude, man. Because that's what you're going to get if you're not willing to fight for your own country. Anyway, I, this is a talk that I gave uh, in to the Wayne County Republican Party this past weekend, and it's becoming a big part of uh, a theory uh, that I'm going to be kind of developing with you guys over the next weeks and months. I hope you don't mind. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.